Hello, and welcome to the Delaware College Scholars Podcast. Yes, we have changed the name of the pod, but don't worry, the content is still the same. We originally started this podcast with the idea that we would only be focusing on our scholars and their stories. However, as Jordan and I continued to connect with incredible people in all walks of life, whether it be in education, business, medicine, we realized that we wanted to share their journeys as well. For their stories are inspirational and our scholars can learn from them. So you'll still be hearing from us twice a month and we hope to continue to bring our audience quality content. Now that that's out of the way, on this week's episode of the Delaware College Scholars Podcast, my co-host Jordan Bonner interviewed Dr. Laura Perna. Dr. Perna, who is a professor at the University of Pennsylvania and co-founder of Penn's GSE Alliance for Education, talks about her research, issues of college access, affordability, and success for first-gen under-resourced students, and why she has dedicated her life to this specific research. I know I learned a lot in this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Enjoy. Hi, Dr. Perna. How are you doing? Good morning. So nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Like I said before, I just want to thank you for returning my uh, my email. I know you are flooded with emails all the time and are extremely busy with research projects and grants, etc. So I'm honored to have you here. I know on behalf of Delaware College Scholars, we're honored to have you here to just impart some wisdom and kind of tell us a little bit about your work. So I'll start here. With every guest, we give them an opportunity to kind of walk us through the arc of their career. For you, I don't necessarily know if I want to do that because your career has been extensive, you know, and you can take me from day one to now and we'll be, that would take up the entire phone call. So maybe just introduce yourself and give our listeners an idea of like where you are now and your research interests, some of the work that, that you're doing. Great. Well, thanks so much for the opportunity to talk with you. I know you care deeply about these issues around college access and success. And, um, you know, and that's really my passion. So, you know, it's the central goal of the of my research is really to try to understand how we can ensure that all people have the opportunity for high quality higher education. And, um, you know, as you've suggested, I've looked at that in a variety of ways over the course of my career, you know, trying to understand how people make decisions about going to college, Mm -hmm. and then looking at particular policies and practices. Right now, I've been spending time looking at pre-college and trying to understand, you know, is this going to be the thing that really helps us move forward and address some of these really persisting um, gaps and opportunity? Yeah, yeah, with the College Promise programs, We'll see. I mean, there are a lot of different interventions to address, like you said, this persistent gap and the achievement gap. And I've read a little bit about, you know, what you're currently working on. So it's, it's exciting to see if that's, you know, if that's viable. I guess I want to transition to this. Your life work, like you said, has focused on college access, affordability, especially for low, un- low income first generation students. Was there an epiphany or like an aha moment where like, okay, this is what I've been called to do, or did this just kind of happen by happenstance? I, it's uh, well, so it's always easier to tell the story in retrospect. Okay. Yep. 
<laughs> but I think in the moment, uh, as my career has developed, it's been a series of different experiences and realizations that have led me to where I am right now. Uh, just a couple briefly. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as an undergraduate, so I went to Penn as an undergraduate, and I just felt so fortunate to have the opportunity to be there. Um, I also had the uh, understanding that it wasn't easy for my family to figure out how to pay the costs of going. And I also uh, re was reflecting on just, you know, how did I happen to get here when so many other great people out there didn't, you know, mm -hmm. right? They had different life courses. And so to, that type of reflection was a big part of um, what drives me, really trying to understand who gets what opportunities and really um, thinking about how those different paths are structured for people. You know, it's, you know, we have individual agency on these uh, different decisions we make, but so many of the outcomes for different people are really determined by um, the options that are available. You know, who has how much money to pay the costs and are there different resources for different groups and things like that. And so, um, I think that really gets at my passion. How do we make, sh how can we really level the playing field to make sure that everybody has the opportunity mm -hmm. to achieve their dreams? Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And that's a lot of the work that we do here is trying, it's aiming to level the playing field because we see that disproportionately black and brown students are under-resourced. And, and it's not the case for everybody, but more often than not, you know, you're born in a certain neighborhood and like you may not have access to the same level of schooling. And it's just, it's so many different factors that can influence students' likelihood of them going to college and even persisting, you know? And I think that's why different interventions and programs are, are so key. Um, I know you talked about this uh, in one of your pieces. This was like back in the early 2000s, like evaluating pre-college programs. So I think we still need rigorous evaluations of those programs as well. But they, I mean, they are needed to provide that supplemental support and to, and to level the playing field. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. So one thing that you, or one of the things that I've seen you say, you know, a lot in your research, um, you focus on students, they have like the necessary financial resources and the academic preparation. I know Conley talks a lot about this as well. So there's some, you know, some overlap there, but like we were just saying more often than not, one of those key tenets is missing. So. If you, and I know you spend a lot of time, you know, researching, but if you personally could create your ideal intervention to address one or more of these barriers, like how, what would you do? Or how would you, or what would, and what would you tackle first? I know that's a, I know that's a tough question, but I'm curious. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And we do need attention to solutions and visions. So mm -hmm. I love that you're asking the question and I hope that others who are listening are asking that question too. Like, what are the solutions? You know, we've been, we've learned a lot about what the problems are. Mm -hmm. um, and in many ways, you know, I've been looking at this more than 20 years now, in many ways, the problems are getting bigger, right? We're going in the wrong direction. So I love the vision of trying to figure out what can we do? You know, there's so much inequality and structural racism in our systems. And, you know, on the surface, it looks like we have a fair and meritocratic system. <laughs> and, um, you know, when you really just probe even a little bit, you see how unequal the opportunities are you know, with regard to financial resources. The academic preparation issues are really big. You mm -hmm. know, the differences in the um, types of courses and the availability of different types of supports that are available in 
high schools serving affluent students are just so different than even a high school that's geographically close to that, but mm-hmm. serving a different demographic, right? You know, we're, we're channeling people on really different paths because of that. So, you know, I, I, I said before, I was looking at um, college promise programs mm-hmm. and free tuition programs. I don't know whether they're the solution, but um, I think like you, I'm an optimist, like we have to keep trying things. Yep. I think that's the type of um, approach that if done right, could catalyze attention to multiple barriers. So, you know, if they can help improve college affordability for low income students, and perhaps they could do that. I think there could also, you know, with the message of um, free tuition or free some somehow some of the costs are paid for mm-hmm. you know, that knowledge about college is possible that message that college is possible is really really important our system of uh, financial aid is so complicated and it's so hard to for people to understand how much will it really cost yep, to go yep. to college especially right? if you're a first gen yeah right mm-hmm. and it's really complicated mm-hmm. Hopefully we're making progress with simplifying the FAFSA, but even with that, you know, there's so many things we ask people to do in order to figure out like what actually (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) No, it's it's a lot, it's a lot. I'm sorry to cut you off, but like you're going going through these loops and holes just to figure out, okay, what is my expected family contribution? It's like, it's hard to navigate. I see it with students all the time. They'll send me their financial aid letters. And sometimes I'm like, wait, what? Like what are you actually playing or what like because it's just it's a lot it's a lot so we need to I, I agree with you simplifying the language so that everybody can under can understand i want to take a step back i know what college promise programs are describe for our listeners what college promise programs are and then some of the maybe preliminary findings that that you've seen yeah great um it's not a simple question to okay. answer, unfortunately. <laughs> so um, college promise programs are, you know, at the core, I think they're a type of program that has a goal of improving college attainment. So helping people get college degrees. Uh, a second characteristic would be that they have some additional financial aid in the form of grants. Mm-hmm. That's in addition to what's already being provided by state governments and the federal government. And then a third characteristic, I would say, is that they target people in a particular place. So people who are attending a particular high school or live in a particular state. I think that's really important because we just have so much variation in all kinds of things based on where you live, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about the high schools, you know, state policy for higher education varies tremendously, what you pay, what tuition is, what the availability of financial aid. And so college promise programs, I think, uh, you know, those are the general categories, you know, the general features of them. And then they take a whole lot of different Forms, right? There are some that um, try to work with students as early as kindergarten, make the message clear, you know, mm-hmm. if you do these things, then you know, there's the promise of uh, assistance with paying for college costs. Some of them are really targeted towards high school seniors and helping with that immediate transition. There are a small number of programs that target adult learners, which is also another big important part of this issue of, about providing opportunity for people, especially people from historically underserved groups. You know, we got to do better with people who didn't make that immediate transition from high school into college. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so there's a lot of variety in there in the types of approaches. Um, the research is suggesting that there's some positive effects on enrollment of these programs, even for people who don't necessarily get a financial. So one characteristic of there's a lot, uh, uh, there's a lot to these programs, right? You know, how they distribute the financial aid, for right. example, right? Do they give new dollars to students from low-income families or not is one question. Um, you know, there's some research that set, suggests that um, the, it's, the message of free tuition can be helpful in, in promoting enrollment. Um, I want to be careful with that because we still do need to make, do more to make college affordable for students from low-income students, uh, low-income groups, Black students, student, other students of color. We know that borrowing just varies. The rates of borrowing are greater for Black people and for other underrepresented groups, mm -hmm. you know, the magnitude of the debt, like we have to address that issue. And so there's a lot in there, but I think there's some promise with promise yep. that there may be something here, but we have to keep working at them to make sure they're really improving equity. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, look, I'm looking forward to what you find so we can disseminate that information. And I'm also, yes, uh, I can relate to that debt. One year, my master's, of doing my master's at Cambridge, I can't even tell you like the amount, just for a course that was, ended up getting disrupted too. So it was like, yeah, it was, it, yeah, anyways. And so I can only imagine for kids who are doing yeah, four, four year institutions, I was fortunate that I didn't have to uh, take out any loans, but a lot of my friends are in massive debt to go to school. And then quite frankly, sometimes not even using the degree that you got. So it's just like, it's, it's tough, it's tough. There's so much to unpack. And I, well, first, I wanted to thank you, too, for I know that the College Promise Programs is multifaceted. So thank you for giving us that def that definition. A couple of different directions that we can go. I think I want to stay with financial aid and kind of talk about the Pell Grant. So I'm a part of this, uh, the National College Attainment Network as a, as a fellow, and we're working to double Pell. So, you know, pushing our congressmen and women to, to double the purchasing power of Pell. You know, in the 1970s, it was like 80% it covered tuition. And now today it's about 30%. And I know that you talk a lot about this, the role of policy and practice coming together to make college affordable. So especially for underrepresented minorities. So could you maybe kind of walk us through what you mean by, by that and why that and why that's important? Sure. Well, it's great that you're um, advancing that effort for the Pell Grant. The Pell Grant is so important, right? It's a it's aid that doesn't have to be repaid, right. unlike loans, like we were just talking about, mm. which is super important. It's targeted to low-income students, unlike a lot of other types of aid, right? So it's really going to the most needy students. It's really the foundation of our system of financial aid. Um, but as you said, it's, you know, the purchasing power increasingly is is falling behind. So, you know, part of what um, I think is important is thinking about how these different forces come together to influence affordability from an individual student and family perspective, right? So on the cost side, we talk a lot about tuition, but, you know, you know, we know that's not the only cost of going to college, right? right. <laughs> you have to eat and you yep. have to live and you have to buy books mm -hmm. and you have to be able to participate in the experience, right? And all that requires money. So we need to have an honest conversation about what is it? What is the cost really? So that's one part. And then is the financial aid part, right? So 
the Pell Grant? You know, how do state grants layer onto that? What do institutions do in terms of their awarding of financial aid? And there are all kinds of decisions that go into that, right? So who gets what types of aid and mm-hmm. what are those criteria? How are we allocating that? And what resources really are we making available to help ensure that financially students with financial need have the resources that they need to actually be part of our college experience. Right. That's that notion of belonging and that notion of being an active participant in the college experience, I think is very important. I think even now we're seeing with COVID that that is not the case. I mean, I know we're seeing with our students that a lot of them are having to take up second jobs to help out the family and they're not able to really like have that experience let's just take COVID out of it but like if you're if you're if the student hypothetically was able to be on campus right I'm just saying like they're not really able to have that full experience because you're dealing with other barriers at play and so I guess this is a good segue to the one of the other questions I had was given what we already know about the achievement gap like what can we reasonably expect parents and students to do to stay on track during this time, given like the barriers and that they're that they're facing, especially, you know, with COVID as well? Yeah, great question. Well, and I do want to just, uh, you know, one of the other aspects of paying for college before I address your question mm-hmm. <laughs> that you sort of touch on is uh, working while enrolled in college. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I think we don't pay enough, enough attention to is, um, as we're trying to figure out how to improve opportunity, you know, people are working, people, students are, many students are working, literally working really, really hard to get a college degree. And I think in COVID that's just intensified, right? The, the magnitude of things that are on um, the plates of some of our students, it's just really amazing what students are taking on, you know, they're working and they're caring for loved ones and they're managing health related Mm -hmm. issues. And, Um, you know, the list goes on and on. And we have an obligation, I think, to make it not so hard for people to get a college degree, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in terms of advice, it's such a good question. Um, You know, I continue to believe the data that show that getting a college degree is worth it, right? There are, it's on average, the benefits, there are just so many benefits in terms of employment and other indicators of well-being and so i think it's important to think about that you know especially in this time when you're struggling and trying to figure out how to how to you know survive in this current era um you know i would suggest you know asking and this is advice that spans beyond covid but asking for help um and really reaching out you know we have in our system we have an illusion of choice, right? We suppose we have so many different higher education institutions and we have so many different um, supposed mechanisms for helping to pay for college. And it seems like there's opportunity for everybody, but it's really complicated and it's really hard to figure out. And so you know, students and families have to reach out and ask questions and try to get the assistance that they need to figure out you know, from people like you and other mm-hmm. types of programs and try to get assistance with trying to navigate this, that would be one piece of advice. Yeah. I think that college knowledge is so important. You know, you don't know what you don't know, which is why like a Delaware College Scholars or other nonprofit or community-based organizations are so important to kind of bridge that gap between what students don't know. I think 
I mean, like you said before, even when you were undergrad, you know that you had maybe the opportunity looking at your positionality, you were able to be afforded certain experiences because you may have had that knowledge. And same for me, you know, my mom graduated, both actually both my parents graduated from college. And so there were things that I just inherently knew and the messaging, it was always, Jordan, you're going to college. Like, so I didn't necessarily have to, to bridge that gap, but for students, like I said, who are first gen, who may not have somebody to explain that to them, I think these interventions are, are, are important. But I guess I did want like one, I did want to ask you one last question and you kind of gave, you did give a piece of advice for our parents and students just more generally as students start to think about post-secondary options, especially our underrepresented, our first gen students, given that you've done a lot of research, your breadth of knowledge is expansive. What's some words of wisdom that you can impart on them as they start to think about post-secondary options? Okay. Um, I'm curious what you, what you advise to your yeah. students. Too. Well, yeah, I mean, so I think what I'm wrestling with and sorry, like you can see the, the, the wheels are turning in my head right now. So I apologize for the, like the pausing. I had another conversation with an educator and they, they subscribed to this notion. I thought it was, it was pretty interesting, this idea in terms of preparing students as if all students are going to college, but not saying that you have to go. You know what I mean? Like college is not for everybody. So making sure that students have this notion of choice. We talked about a lot about that choice, agency, options, and quite frankly, a lot more often than not underserved populations don't have the choices, but still the academic pre preparation as if you were going to go to college, I think you still need those skills, you know? So for us at Delaware College Scholars, that's what we aim to do. We aim to provide that supplemental support to our students, you know, going through the public education system, um, whether it's with FAFSA help or college essay writing. Um, we talked, I mean, we talked a lot about this, you know, bridging, bridging the gap and trying to level the playing field. I guess things are, you know, interventions can always be improved. And I guess I'm trying to figure out like, what's one thing that you've seen that that's worked? What's one piece of advice you would give to to our, to our scholars as, they, as, they're, as they're starting to think about next steps for them? Well, I think it might, uh, I would suggest that people think about the different parts and this builds on things that you just said, right? Mm -hmm. So um, the different parts of the process. And I totally agree that we should be preparing everybody to be ready to go to college. The fact that people, um, so many people continue to have to participate in developmental education courses before they can move on to college level courses. is just, that's a real fault in our system. And mm -hmm. that's something that costs our students real time and money. And it's just inexcusable. Even if everyone's not going to college, providing people with high quality readiness during high school has mm -hmm. to prepare them for a workforce right. too, right? right? So it seems like that's something that we really do need. Um, so I would encourage folks to think about, you know, the money part of it, right? So really interrogating the costs and um, the availability of financial aid and um, pushing on, you know, you alluded to just the complexities of figuring out financial aid award letters, same thing with net price calculators, mm -hmm. like you really have to look at the details because the in institutions are presenting the information very, very differently. And, right. You know, Across really institutions too. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so, and um, not taking the sticker, you know, paying attention to sticker price, like mm -hmm. that's not the whole story. And sometimes the institutions that you think might be the most expensive might be the most generous in terms of institutional aid, right? So just sure. recognizing that is, is very important. I think the second part is thinking about the academic readiness and, you know, really um, doing whatever you can to take advantage of the opportunities that are available to be academically ready for mm -hmm. college. You know, that is important and it will be helpful um, to later outcomes. Um, and then the third would be to ask questions and really just continue to uh, try to take advantage of the resources that are available mm -hmm. and, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, no, great advice, great advice. I want to transition to our Ring the Bell segment of the podcast. So these are the same two questions that we give to every guest speaker. And so I'm curious to see what you would say. So what's one piece of advice you would give your 16-year-old self? It always trips people up. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's a tough one, right? Yeah. Um, be open to possibilities. You know, at 16, I had would have never, ever guessed that I would be doing what I'm doing now. <laughs> right. And so I think um, it's really you can do your best to try to plan for, you know, the next stages in your life. But, you know, things happen and new things come along and um, just try to learn what you can from the, the opportunities that you have and uh, try things out. And mm -hmm. if they work, keep doing them. If they don't, pivot. Yep. Yep. I think that's important. Not everybody's journey is linear. Um, and I'm attest to that too. I thought that, you know, went to undergrad, then went to Cambridge in England, and then I thought I was gonna do the PhD and have completely taken a, a whole diversion, you know, and now I'm working for Delaware College Scholars. So it's, you have to be, I agree with you, being open to, to possibilities and allowing, just to allow yourself to be led to what, you know, you feel like is calling you and, is, and you're passionate about. Next question, what's your why? <laughs> you know, I believe in a world where everybody has opportunity for high quality, you know, to achieve their dreams. Mm -hmm. Everyone has the opportunity to achieve their dreams. I really, I continue to hope that we can get to that point. That's why I get up every day. Awesome. Well, look, thank you. I appreciate it. I know that our listeners will learn a lot. I personally learned a lot and um, I'm just honored that once again to have you grace us with your presence on the podcast. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Jordan. It's so fun to talk with you and thank you for all the great work you're doing. I really appreciate and I'm inspired by your commitment and all that you're contributing every day too. Thank you. Thank you.